Private Eye, where Brandon asked me to go to the gym. He was just about to tell me something really big. Let's pick up right there. I, so I go to jail, find out what the big news is. And he, him haws around, and then he says, well, okay, I'm going to tell you. After I drop my friends off, I would stop at a convenience store, and I would buy beer. How much beer? Like a 12-pack of beer. And then I would go to a church parking lot, ironically again. I would go to a church parking lot, and I would just sit in the parking lot and drink the beer. He'd drink six beers? Six or ten, yeah. Twelve, I don't know if he, this is what he told me. Okay. And I said, okay, yeah. Just like you're saying, like, okay. And he says, yeah, so, so is that, is that enough to get me out of this? What? I was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, like, because I was impaired, because I was drunk, really. Oh my gosh, Brandon. No, that is not a defense. That you had beer? That is not a defense. If that were a defense, every guy that went to a bar and had some beer on his way home could rape whatever woman he wanted and then say, oh, I, that's not my fault because I had beer. <laughs> no, that's not a defense. That's not going to help. And he's like, oh. Because it really was a stretch. So you stretch. think he was just making that up? Or no, I don't. Drink? I really do think that he did that. I think he would actually drink, but he didn't want us to know that because of our stigma in the... When you're in a religion and a part of the culture is not to drink... At the end of the conversation, when I let him know, hey, this isn't going to make a difference to you. As I'm leaving, he said, you're not going to tell my parents, are you? Oh, wow. Exactly. I was like, oh, my gosh. You're looking at going to prison for 35 years for what you've done, and you're worried about your parents finding out that you drank alcohol, that you drank beer before you did that? Like, that is the least of your problems. You're like... <laughs> You're really confused here about priorities and what's important, what isn't important. So is this what they call acting out in psychology? He's acting out against things that are his social norm? Man, I wish I, wish I knew exactly because all I had were the facts to go with. Because what he was telling me, the guy that I would see every week in jail when I'd visit him was such a nice guy. I, he was like the class president guy friendly, charming, intelligent. And I said, you know, Brandon, did you date? Did you date in high school? I mean, you're class president. You must have a lot of friends. And he said, yeah, I have a lot of friends. And I did then. I said, did you date? And he's like, not really. I said, why didn't you just get a girlfriend and have like a normal progression of a relationship where you get to know her and then you kiss her and then... You make out. You make out and you're touching and, and then you get like this... You're these normal progression of curiosity and needs met. He said he didn't have a relationship. He didn't really date. He didn't kiss girls. He didn't do that, which I think is part of our problem here because he was so repressed in that area and so curious. And testosterone's a powerful thing, and I think he was just trying to just stuff it down so much, and you can't do that. It's just too strong. So our preliminary hearing was coming up. And the prelim is where the state brings their evidence, as you know. They bring the evidence to show that there's enough evidence here to bind this case over for trial, that this guy deserves to be charged. And the bar for that is so, so low. It's not difficult for a prosecutor to present evidence to show that. So on the way to court that day, I'm talking with this lawyer, and he asked me how things were going. 
And I said, it, it's going okay, although I don't really know. I don't know. He, he's not telling me why he did this. He keeps telling me it's a joke. And the lawyer and I had had conversations about it. And I told him how. I said, hey, why don't you just go out with some girl and have him, like, kiss her and make out with her and touch her? Like, why did you do that? And, and the Lord just starts laughing. He's like, you said that to him? You just said that. And I was like, yeah, I did. That would be normal for a guy to go out with a girl and have a girlfriend. And that's just normal stuff. And he didn't do it. And he was just laughing. We get to court and his parents are there and his sister's there. I haven't met them before. I'm sure the lawyer had. I hadn't. And I was anxious to meet them. So the, the sister is how old? Oh, she's like college age. So we go in this side room to the courthouse so that the lawyer can explain to them, today's the preliminary hearing and this is what's going to happen. And we were really excited because he had a plea deal worked out for Brandon. Plead Here was the guilty deal. to what? He was going to plead guilty to some of the charges and then dismiss some of the charges. So he was looking, had he been convicted of all eight counts? Well, 16 really, because it's eight counts of attempted kidnapping, eight counts of attempted rape. Had he been convicted of all of those, then he would have served 35 years to life. We had a deal worked out for him that he would get three years in prison and he would get in the sex offender program upon his arrival in prison, which was a really big deal because... For a guy convicted and in prison of a sex offense, they have to wait to get in the sex offender program. And they can't get out of prison until they've completed that program. What's the advantage of being in it? The advantage of it is that they get the opportunity to figure out why they did this crap, why they have these needs. So it it's really counseling. Oh, really intensive counseling. So we were really excited about this deal. I couldn't believe that we would get that great of a deal, but he had a really great lawyer. His lawyer has a good reputation. So we take this family, his parents and his sister into this room and the lawyer's telling them like, hey, we have a plea offer, three years, and he gets in the sex offender program. And that's great because you can't get out until you get in the program and some guys wait years to get in, but we have this worked out. I'm looking at their faces. I can't wait to hear how they're going to respond. And his mother just, like, her face goes dark red, and she just starts yelling at us and starts telling this lawyer, you haven't done anything for my son. You're not helping him at all. We, we know it's a brain injury. This is not him. He's never done anything like this before, and the only reason he's doing this is because of this brain injury, and you're not even calling a doctor. We've been asking you to call a doctor to get an opinion, and you won't, and she just goes on and on and on, and this lawyer is a real tough guy, and I just looked at him to see, like, what, how is he going to take this, and he was upset. I could see it in his face, see it in his eyes. He hated it. But he was listening. Finally, a moment that he could say, please listen to me. This is the best deal that Brandon will ever get. I have a really good reputation. I'm really good at this. Because of that, they're offering me a good deal. And I looked over, and she just tears into him again. And she says, we've talked to other lawyers. And these other lawyers, they'll hire doctors. They're going to look into this brain injury. And they say that the brain injury is probably the reason that he did this. And they're going to get him out of this because of the brain injury. 
and I looked at the husband, his father, to see like. Oh, so he was there too. He was there too, but he wasn't saying anything. And I look at him to see like, in his eyes, like what did, like what do you think of all this? And he was so quiet. He just like put his head down, like he was just brokenhearted. And he didn't say a word. And then I was wondering, man, maybe. Do you think maybe Brandon having a domineering mother like this, who is just so adamant, like so black and white, this is the way it has to be, and so almost vicious in her approach to things. I wonder, at, at that moment I thought, man, did she, was she abusive to him? Is she abusive to her husband? Is, was she abusive to, to Brandon? Did this like... Or controlling maybe? Controlling, like, and, and with this domineering mother and his father being at least in this setting he was very passive did that did that change did that change his life I I just didn't know uh and I I mean I couldn't know in that setting so you're not buying the brain injury I I'm not and and the reason I'm not is and the reason I didn't then and not now is for what I said. He he came home from his mission for a year while he healed from his broken leg and surgery and the leg without incident, then went on his mission, completed the mission for a year without incident. Tell me That's this. two years without, and, and that's right after the alleged injury. Has anybody ever been exonerated on the basis of a broken leg? <laughs> Not on a broken leg. And... Not even for it for brain injury. That's the other thing. So that's not, there's not a broken leg defense. Lawyers can come up with all, as you know, lawyers can come up with just about anything for a defense. Have I ever heard of someone being successful with that? No. The mother, and not the father, the mother made it extremely abundantly clear that she didn't want to work with us anymore. And when I say us, I mean him. So you got fired. I mean the lawyer, him. <laughs> I did, yeah. So we got fired because she didn't want to work with us. And he said, "Well, you know, and how you know is the legal system works. If there is a motion pending, if there's something pending on a case, a lawyer can't just withdraw. Not without the permission of the judge. Exactly. So he said, "Well, we'll go talk to Brandon and see." If Brandon feels the same way, and she's like, yes, he does. I know he does. We just talked to him. Okay. So we go in the courtroom. When there's a preliminary hearing, they bring our defendants there, and they keep them in a holding cell. It's off to the side of the courtroom, and there are a number of inmates in there in these holding cells. And we go in, and Brandon's there. The guard brought us into a private room so we could meet with Brandon. And the lawyer just asked him, hey, your mother tells me that you don't want to work with me anymore. I have a plea deal. I have a great offer for you. So he did he already know what the plea offer was? He didn't, because we had just told the mother and the father just moments before. So Brandon hadn't heard of it. He explained what the offer was. You'll get out in three years. You'll get in the sex offender program treatment. It's extensive psychological counseling. And, and actually, the stats show it's very helpful for sex offenders, that treatment. And... Brandon was very much like his dad, just put his head down, like could barely make eye contact with us. So we, he had to ask, like, hey, what do you, 
do you want to take the deal or do you want to go with this other lawyer? And Brandon like really quietly just said, yeah, I, I, wanna, I wanna go with the other lawyer. Wow, are you seeing the pattern here? I am seeing a pattern. Yeah, he is his dad, isn't he? He is. And he's trying to assert some dominance, some, some kind of some maybe some kind of emancipation from Oh wow. From them. Yeah. An unhealthy way to emancipate yourself, of course, but from your mother's influence. Yeah. The lawyer said, Alright, uh, if you don't wanna have me take this deal for you, then I have to withdraw from your case. And he thought that Brandon would be like, oh no, please don't withdraw. And I was thinking, oh man, this is so stupid. Brandon's not listening. I said, Brandon, this really is a great deal. And he said, yeah, but you know, we think this brain injury stuff is really the reason. Okay. All right, whatever. So we knew we weren't going to get anywhere. So we left the, the holding cell and we went into judges chambers. So we had to bring the prosecutor in and the judge and us, the attorney and myself. And he explained to the judge, the prosecutor here has offered what we think is a very reasonable deal. We suggested that he take it. He doesn't want to listen to my advice, so I need to withdraw from the case. And the judge just shook his head and said, this is very unfortunate. He's not going to find another lawyer this good. I doubt that he'll get a deal better than this. And the prosecutor said, I know he won't get a better deal than this because the prosecutor's the one that offers the deals. So that's the other part that people are not calculating in. Bringing a new lawyer in, it's still the same prosecutor. So we put it on the record that we were withdrawing from the case. We come out of the courtroom, there are a bunch of people in the hallway, and the lawyer and I are just going to walk out. Brandon's mom comes over to me. Like, there are a bunch, there's so many people around. I remember all these people, and it was a lot of talking and voices around. This is in the courthouse, though. In the hallway at the courthouse, yes. And she comes up to me, and she says, Pamela, can I talk to you a minute? I said, yeah, sure, what's up? And she said, you know, Brandon really liked you. And I said, I like Brandon. I, I really wanted to help him. And she said, he really liked you, and he's really going to miss working with you on the case. And I said, yeah. I'll miss talking to Brandon. And she said, what do you think is really going on here? I said, you know, I think we were so, so lucky that he was arrested before he actually ever raped a girl or before it escalated, like, because he'd used that knife in the last incident before it escalated to the point where he hurt someone, killed someone. I think we could have been looking at a Ted Bundy in embryo. And she was absolutely flabbergasted that I would say that about her son. But she grabbed her daughter by the arm, which is interesting. Take note again, she didn't grab her husband. He was quiet. Once again, he wasn't in this conversation. He was standing there, but wasn't participating in this. And she grabs her daughter by the arm and she says, come over here and listen to this. And she says to me, tell her what you just told me. And, and so you did. I did. I repeated it. And I said, I think we were really lucky that they caught Brandon when they did because he could have really hurt some girl. He could have been like a Ted Bundy in embryo. We don't know. He was certainly on a really scary road. She turns to her daughter and she goes, can you even believe she said that? And she turns to me and the daughter's like, no. And I can't believe it. And so they both look at me and she says, we have never... That is not like Brandon. And I said, I agree with you. It isn't. And the guy that I talk to every week at the jail, it's not like that guy either. 
But here's the thing. Did you ever hear Brandon call a woman an effing bitch? And she just, <gasps> like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe you're talking to me like this. And I said, I didn't hear it either. He never talked like that to me. He never said the F word. He never even said bitch in a meeting with me. He never swore. But what I know is when he would attempt to kidnap and rape these women, he would call them an effing bitch. That's how he'd start their conversation. He'd say, get in the car, effing bitch. And I said, that's the dark side of Brandon that we don't know. That's the dark side that he's never shown us that we couldn't see, we couldn't put it. I needed to talk to that Brandon to know how, what, what were you really doing here? What was happening? And I never got to talk to him. You guys haven't that, seen that side of him, I'm sure. And right then his lawyer saw me talking to them and motioned and said, Pamela, let's go. So we walked out of the courtroom and he was just shocked that they wanted to talk to me more because they disliked him so much. And he said, what were they saying to you? And I said, they were asking what I thought happened with Brandon. Like, what's going on? Because they said Brandon liked me and he trusted me. And I said, I think we dodged a bullet here. Brandon had some real darkness in his soul. And he's like, what? You told that to his mother? And I said, I did. He does have darkness in his soul. I think we were lucky. He could be a Ted Bundy in embryo. And the lawyer just laughed the whole way we walked back to his office. He kept laughing and saying, I can't believe you told his mother that. Right, but that's the real issue. That's what we're dealing with. Of course, we don't know what's going on. Then I read in the paper a few months later, and sure enough, Brandon and his family had hired a new lawyer. And that lawyer had, in fact, not just hired one doctor, he hired three, three neurologists to do, run tests on Brandon's brain. And what they found was there was an injury to the brain and that injury could have impacted his impulse control, just like you said. So he has an impulse, he wants to touch a woman. They, even with their three doctors and there were tons of letters to support Brandon. Oh, that day of the prelim, they had six women there ready to testify. Six of the eight were ready to testify at the preliminary hearing the day that we withdrew. It probably was important to them. Extremely important. They never got their opportunity because we withdrew from the case and the prelim was waived. I wonder if they testified later. No, they didn't because the next lawyer that got on the case, he brought the three doctor's reports in, submitted that to the court, and then he got a plea offer from the prosecutor for 10 years to life. 10 years to life? Yeah. And they took that deal. So instead of three, he's got 10. He's got 10. Yep, he got more than three <laughs> times what we had offered. Well, that'll teach him a lesson. <laughs> that'll really teach him. And nothing about, I don't know when he got in the sex offender program, but he'd served nine of the 10 years. Oh, wow. That's a lot. It is. It is a lot. So he's a 30-plus-year-old guy now, or when he got out. Right, exactly. And so and, what happened to him, do you know? Well, yeah, he got out, and three years after getting out... Three years? Three years later, he was free for three years, and then he got re-arrested for violating his probation. By doing what? And parole. He, he picked up a couple 14-year-old girls, took them to a hotel... They claimed that he and two other guys sexually assaulted them. They didn't charge him for this crime, 
which seems really crazy with his background and his previous charges. And the reason they didn't is, when you look into that case, I think those girls, I don't know if he promised them drugs or what, but they they had some of their own issues going on, the reason they even agreed to go to his hotel room. And then they claimed there were two other guys with him and that they'd been kidnapped and forced into the room. But when the police saw the video, there were not two other guys. It was only Brandon and the two girls voluntarily going into his hotel room. But that was still a violation of his parole because he was to have no contact with... With um, minor women, not minor girls. And because of that violation, they threw him back in prison, which is where he is in prison to this day. Oh, my word. What a waste of a life. Exactly. It's kind of like where we started with this, that... Uh, quotation from Thoreau. Yes. Most men live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. Well, Brandon's life really wasn't quiet. His desperation... It got pretty pretty loud. loud. And I don't know that we'd call what was in him a song, would it? Well, I guess it could be a really horrible song. I think there was real goodness in him. Mixed with some real darkness in him. And he was trying to decide which song to sing, wasn't I think he? I think there was a real battle with him between light and dark. And we know, I mean, it's so apparent when the dark took over, but I really think, I mean, the guy, he did some really commendable things. He was class president in high school. People he, liked him. People liked him. His mother liked him. His mother, his parents really like him, I'm sure and his sister, and he completed a Mormon mission. That's no, that's no small thing, that's a big deal. And he was entered, he was in college when, when this whole thing started, so he, I really like that metaphor, trying to choose which song you're going to sing. Yeah, and I think he probably sang both. There was a time, one of the meetings I had with Brandon, I said, you know, I'm a Mormon too. You can't tell me that you go out and try to kidnap these women on Saturday night. And then when you're sitting in church the next day, there's no way you're thinking, this is just a joke, this is funny. You know better, that was something dark that you were trying to hide. There's a difference. So he's expending a lot of effort to rationalize some pretty awful behavior, isn't he? At least he was then. I really hope that he got better because the fact that he was rearrested and is in prison again. I'm, I'm troubled by that. But one of my more fascinating cases, because I really think there was so much goodness in him. Do you remember anything from psychology that would explain that, how someone gets so detached from reality that they don't acknowledge or can't even see deviant behavior in themselves? <laughs> well, the, the bad part about that is you can't grow until you can see that. That's the first step. You've got to acknowledge the truth, like the good and the bad. You have to acknowledge where you are. And if you can't, you can't, if you can't see where you are, you can't see where you need to be. Yeah, and his mother certainly couldn't see it. I, do you think that he didn't see it or that he was afraid to confront that thing inside him? I think he saw it, I think he knew. I think he knew that he had it, and he knew that part of him. And I think for most of us, we are afraid that we are not good enough, and that because we're not good enough, we won't be loved. And I think he was so afraid for the world to see that part of him that wasn't good enough, 
that he wouldn't be loved by, certainly, I think he was fearful that his mother wouldn't love him, his father wouldn't love him, that he would, I think we're fearful that the love that we have around us is conditional. I think possibly because the love, so often for ourselves, the love we have is conditional. Now you're getting philosophical. I know, I know. And I don't want to go that far down that, but it. I do want us to think about, I'm not defending his behavior at all, but it's fascinating. No, you got fired. You can't. <laughs> That's true. I did get fired. Well, the lawyer that I worked with got fired. They wouldn't have fired me probably until I told them their son was like Ted Bundy. Then yeah. they would have fired me. But I love this case. It was fascinating. I think it's... What a fascinating look at human nature. Yeah. The potential of human nature. Yeah. To live in an unreal set of ideas. Yes. That this is just a joke. I find it hard to believe that he believed that. This was not a joke. I don't think he believed that it was a joke. I think he believed he could get out of the charges if he said it was. I mean, if you go through life regular experiences and you don't go threatening girls with a gun. Or a knife. Or a knife. How did he not learn that? I, I think he knew it. That's my, that's my argument that he didn't have a brain injury because if he had a brain injury... You wouldn't be able to distinguish between right and wrong. You wouldn't be able to distinguish. You'd just run around with a gun or a knife. He knew to hide it. The fact that he knew yeah, to hide that tells me he knew right and wrong. He knew what he was doing was wrong, but there was something that was so compelling to him to make him do it, even after they had the sketches on the news. So it's a fascinating case. I hope that we all look at it and learn from ourselves, learn from this what we can. Thank you. This has been Brandon, the good guy, or Wolf and Sheep's Clothing. Thanks for listening to Pamela Private Eye.